It is so good to see you, whether you're online with us or on campus with us. We are delighted that you're here. And for me, it's a lot of fun uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, I get to talk to people today. Uh, I mean, I've been talking to people on camera for three months, but there's been nobody else in the room. So for those of you in the room, my goodness, you look good. And for those of you who are wearing your mask, I, I just want to let you know, you have the greatest opportunity in the world while I'm preaching. If you keep your mask on, you can stick your tongue out at me, and I will never know, all right? Uh, just, just let you know. Now, some of you are like, my mother taught me not to do that. Well, I understand, but this is your chance if you'd, if you'd like to do it, all right? Uh, now, here's the other thing. It's Father's Day. And so, dads, we want to say uh, happy Father's Day to you. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, we hope you've got great plans. It's a special Father's Day in my house uh, because uh, my son and his wife are expecting a, a baby in August. And as he informed me yesterday, it's his first Father's Day. And so we're really kind of excited about uh, that uh, in the Robinson household. Father's Day is a kind of a unique conundrum, if you would, uh, in, in that, you know, we want to celebrate dads. Uh, we want to be generous to them. But the fact is, guys, we kind of like don't know how to handle that. Um, and, and so it's always kind of awkward. I mean, you know, your kids get you a tie. You say, I like the tie. You never wear a tie, all right? Uh, they, they, they get you certain other things. And you're just like, uh, I mean, tools that you'll never use. Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and yet, we don't really kind of know how to accept it. And, and yet, there's all this stuff that goes with Father's Day or Mother's Day. Ladies, you kind of know the feeling. I, my brothers and I were horrible for our mom at Mother's Day. We tried. We really did, but we didn't have any sisters. Um, and so we kind of just did things in a male-driven fashion, like the one year that she decided she wanted all green um, she wanted green uh, appliances. And you know, so she had like a green dishwasher and she had a green toaster and she had a green coffee pot. And, and, and all we ever knew was to buy her something that she could cook for us with, right? Uh, and, and so that we, you know, that's a real good Mother's Day present. And, and so we decided that we would get her uh, the only thing that matched her green appliances that we could find was a green fondue set. Okay, um, and if you ever met my brothers or in my household, you would discover that a fondue set and the Robinson boys were like totally opposite. Uh, I mean, that's just we we didn't know what to put in it. We thought you made chili, uh, you know. It just it just it really it really wasn't a good thing. Um, and, and so sometimes there's there's this sense of of being in a holiday or in a time of recognizing something, and and in the process we miss the real purpose of it. And, and this morning, I want us to, to think about a passage of Scripture that's really the same way. It's a passage of Scripture where if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the things going on around it and not really see the real purpose of it. Because, you see, the real purpose of a day like Father's Day is for us to recognize the, the men who are good, solid fathers. And, and the Lord knows in our culture right now, we need more men who will respond in a positive way to their role as fathers. Um, it's the purpose of it is, at Mother's Day is to recognize, ladies, the impact that, that you've played in our lives. The, the, the purpose is more important than sometimes the distractions that come with it. And, and so, in this passage from the book of Acts, I, I want to suggest something that, that some of you will, may think is a little bit almost heretical, uh, and, and that is that 
that the church has gotten caught up in our reading of this passage with the things that really aren't the purpose of the passage. And now, there are, there are important things in this passage, but these important things happen with a purpose, and sometimes we get so caught up in the things that happen that we miss the purpose. The, the, the chapter is in the second chapter of the book of Acts. The, the setting is one where, where the disciples, now there's 120 gathered in this upper room. We've been talking about, about their story the last few weeks, and, and in, in talking about their story, they, we've understood that you know, they were in that upper room together uh, with, a, with an overwhelming assignment from God. Jesus had told them they were going to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the far ends of the earth. And so they are to wait in Jerusalem for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because what Jesus knew that most of us fail to remember is that, is that if we're going to do something divine, if we're going to do something of great magnitude, we don't have the human ability to do it. When God wants to do something great in you or in a group of people or in some other person, that person doesn't have the, the power, the ability, the strength to accomplish it. The only way we do something great for God is let God do something great in us. And so what took place in that upper room was that, was that these people are gathered together, the, the 11 disciples plus Matthias, now the new, the 12th disciple, now replacing Judas, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the, the women who had been at the tomb, the women who had supported His ministry, Jesus' brothers, they're all in that room, and they're, and they're gathered together, and they're, and they're praying and their hearts are melting together because what they're in that upper room doing is they're asking God to show them the purpose of their life, to show them how to fulfill what He's asked them to do. And so what the Scripture says is they're in one accord, and suddenly uh, while they're praying, while they're in one accord, something happens in that room. Something that the way Luke describes it is it, it almost sounds like something from a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> it, it almost sounds like something from science fiction. What happens is that while they're praying, suddenly in the midst of their prayer, these, these flames of fire from heaven kind of land on each one of them's heads. Now, some of you are going, now that's preposterous. I, I understand it's, it, it's figurative language to, to help us understand a literal event. Because the literal event is that these people who have this overwhelming mission to share that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Lord of their life, Jesus is the Savior for the world, they, they can't do it on their own. And so the figurative understanding is that these, that these flames come down and, and are a, a symbol of the presence of God's Spirit in them. And on each one of them, this Spirit descends. And it's a catalytic moment. I mean, it's, it's a moment where, where suddenly they're being changed from the inside. The strength they didn't have now belongs in them, not because of themselves, but because of God. And for us, as we look at that moment, uh, there's a temptation in the history of the church to, to fascinate and fixate on that moment and say, man, now, if I could just be a part of that, <laughs> if I could just have that happen, in my, if I could pray in such a way that that would take place in my life, then, then there's, a, there's a real a real draw to that. But, but, but I want to tell you, I don't think that's the purpose of the story. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure it's not. It's just one of, the, one of the things that's given to us so that we can get to the real purpose. When, when those flames come on their, on their heads and they're filled with the Spirit, suddenly something begins to change in them, and, and now they begin to proclaim the glory of God, not out of their strength, but out of His strength. 
And as they're proclaiming the glory of God, now what takes place is that, is that they can't just contain it in that room. And so they kind of walk out of the room and they're just so blessed by what God's doing in their life and this newfound freedom inside of them and this empowerment. And as they're walking out of the room and they're, and they're going down the steps and they go out into the street, now suddenly other people can hear them and the streets are full. Because this is a, a feast time in Jerusalem. It's a time when people have come from all over the world. And as these 120 people come out of this room and they start telling the story and the glory of God, now suddenly in this amazing miracle, people who don't speak their language, people who are, are not from where they're from, suddenly begin to hear the glory of God in their own language. And what had taken place in private now spills out into the public. And now this sharing of the glory of God is going on. And, and, the, and, and there's this amazing statement. I mean, some of the people actually thought they were drunk, okay? They were like, hey, you know, it's too early in the day. I, we've never seen anything like this before. These people have been drinking because and, and, this wouldn't happen in human ability. They, they couldn't really recognize the divine. Uh, can I tell you something? I think God is at work in the world today in so many ways that most of us in our humanness can't ever, ever really understand. And, and when he's at work that way, there's a tendency for us to humanize the divine. There's a tendency for us to, to try to explain it away. There's a, there's a tendency for us to try to, to make an explanation for what is beyond explanation. It, it's, it's a powerful thing when you begin to hear something in a way you understand. But can I tell you? It's not a powerful thing if you can't understand it. What was going on in their life when the Spirit of God descended upon those 120 people as they walked out into the streets was that what was going on inside of them began to spill out into their life. And the miracle of God, the second miracle in the story, it's not just these flames on their heads and the Spirit in their heart. No, no, it's, it's the speaking of their lips. It's the way that they're, that they're doing that in such a way that people are, people are understanding who God is. But that's really not the purpose of the story. It's just a tool for the story. Uh, last year, I, I traveled with the Anderson University men's basketball team to Argentina. Um, I, some of you know I serve as their chaplain, and, and one of the things that I get to do with them, in addition to having chapels throughout the year or, or being a part of their practices or, or hanging out with those, those athletes, is that every few years they travel internationally to to play basketball and teach basketball, but to also share about who Jesus is. And in Argentina last year, the, the language in Argentina is, is Spanish, the, the prohibitive language there, and, and everybody's you know, speaking that. And, and our head coach, Owen Handy, a, a member of this congregation, was, uh, was giving a clinic. And before he went up to, the, to, to do the clinic, he, he said to me, hey, pastor, I know, you, I know you travel internationally some and you speak in other countries through a translator. Could you, could you help me out? I, I, you know, tell me a little bit about speaking through a translator. And I said to him, oh, oh, and listen, I'm such an expert. Larry Sellers over here, Larry always translates for me when I'm in the Ivory Coast. And, and I'm such an expert at, at, at speaking. Here, here's what I want you to know. Short sentences, Owen. Short sentences. Keep it short. He's like, okay, pastor, I got it. And so he launches out, and there are about 100 coaches from around the area who come for this coaching clinic from the, from the Anderson University, from the United States. You know, th these guys are here, and they're going to learn from, from Coach Handy. And as Owen starts into it, he, he gets excited about what he's talking about. 
He gets excited about what he's trying to teach them. And these guys are sitting there, and they're so receptive. I mean, I'm looking at them. They're nodding their head. I mean, they're watching. He's talking, and they're just they're the nicest. Kind of like some of you when I preach on Sunday morning, just kind of nodding your head. You know, hey, you doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Except for one thing. Not a one of them spoke English. Not a one. I suddenly realized that, kind of getting into it, and so I'm trying to get Owen's attention. I'm like, hey, Owen, Owen, hey, hey, brother, hey, slow down, slow down. And he just, man, he's so excited. He just keeps rolling, right? And, and then all of a sudden, he remembers that he's talking in English, and they all speak Spanish, and no one's understanding what he's saying, and he just gets this sheepish look on his face and turns over at me and goes, short sentences, Pastor, right? Short sentences. I'm like, yeah, you've been going for 15 minutes, man, okay? There, there's no way. They, you just got, you got to start all over again. You see, I think sometimes in the life of the church, when we're talking to people in the world, the people in the streets, we talk like we think they understand us, when quite honestly they don't. And the miracle, the miracle of that day was that the people understood in their own language, in their own way of listening. But that wasn't the only miracle. No, there was a third miracle that day. The, the, the third miracle was that this, this guy named Peter, you know, a fisherman, rambunctious. If you've been to church, you've heard us talk about him. He, Peter, was, Peter was there in the midst of it, and he, he heard the people who were being critical. He heard, heard the people who were, who were saying, hey, these guys are just drunk. They're, they've lost their minds. They're not sane. They're not in the right mind. And, and everything inside of Peter amped up. And, and Peter stood up when it amped up. And, and, and Peter stood up and, and Peter said to them, hey, you know what? I, I, I just, I just, I have to tell you, these guys aren't drunk. These women aren't drunk. These people who are telling you about Jesus, they're not doing this out of their own ability. This is God's Spirit. And, and by the way, this is what the prophets promised. And he starts telling what the prophets in the Old Testament had promised about when the Messiah came. And he does this amazing long speech sermon, if you would, about who Jesus really is and how King David had prophesied about, about Jesus and how, how the prophets had prophesied about Jesus and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of this. And, and in the middle of that, here's the third miracle. This is Peter, the man who was broken, the man who had rebelled, the man who had denied Jesus. Now suddenly, because he's been reconnected, because he's been reassembled, with a divine energy instead of a human one. Now, now, he's, now he's talking, not out of his own strength, but out of what God had placed in him and what God had done in him. And he gets to the end of the sermon. And when he gets to the end of it, listen to what he says. Let all the house of Israel, let all of you people in Jerusalem, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Let the forgiveness of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children, 
for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see, that's the purpose of the day of Pentecost. That's, that's the purpose of what God was doing that day. It wasn't that, that the 120 would experience this infilling of the Holy Spirit, although it was a, a very important theological event. It wasn't that, that they would speak in languages they had, they had never learned and be understood by people who spoke those languages, although that, that's a very powerful, miraculous thing. The, the purpose was not that Peter would, would deliver this amazing sermon and, and, and people would go, wow, you were, you were broken and now you're put back together. No, those, those three things were not the purpose. Oh, they're miraculous. No, the purpose was so that people would know, so that you and I would know, so that the world would know that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. That's our overwhelming mission. And so uh, this morning, I just want to share with you what has to happen when we, when we get past all the distractions and get to the real purpose. I would tell you it's the purpose of why we gather on campus and online. I would tell you it's the purpose of why we confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I would tell you that it's very personal for us because, you see, we respond to what God is doing by making a choice. We either choose to, to recognize our failure and our sin, or we reject that reality. What, what Peter said to these people, what these people witnessed on that day was, was that God was a powerful God and that God had a plan for every person and that God had done this for each individual and each individual had to make a choice. How do you respond to what God has done? And for these people, what, what Peter says, look, let everybody in Israel know Jesus is the Messiah. He is Lord. So the question is, if you know it, how do you respond to it? What did you do? How do you respond? Because here's the deal. It's your choice. He's speaking. So will you choose to recognize, hey, you know what? In my life, I've, I've, I've broken some things. I've failed at some things. There's, there's some stuff inside of me that's not good and not healthy. Or will you just live in the denial? Will you just say, you know what, that's okay. That's good for somebody else, but not for me. And reject the reality. No, what, what we're told is that let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, for certain, that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify. Some of you will look at me and go, now wait a minute, Reverend, I, I, I didn't crucify anybody. <laughs> hey, I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't nail Jesus to a tree. You know, I've been learning a lot recently about the difference in responsibility and culpability. 
responsibility, it's easy to see. If I did something, I'm responsible for it. But culpability, that, that's a little harder to look at. Because in culpability, it may be not something I did, but it may be something that I didn't do. It may be that I saw something and I didn't respond to it. And, and, and these people who were listening to Peter, they could very easily say to, to Peter, hey, look, we, we, didn't, we, make, we weren't here 40 days ago. We just showed up in Jerusalem today. We're seeing this miraculous thing. We, we, we weren't the ones who nailed him on a cross. We're not the ones who spit at him. We're not the ones who did that. But, but remember, let all Israel know. Let all humanity know that not only are we responsible, but if we're, if we're really honest, there are some things that we're culpable about. And culpability, it, it, it really does impact more, more than just what I did. It's what I failed to do. So you got a choice. Do we recognize or do we reject? But here's the beautiful part. If you'll recognize it, when, when we recognize our failure and our sin and our brokenness, we do the same thing that, that these people did. We, we ask us a question. We ask a question like, okay, we're cut to the heart here. What, what are we going to do? What, 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 what do we do if I'm culpable, if I'm responsible, if, if, I, if I've done this, then what's my next step? And Peter gives this amazing answer because you see, when we recognize our failure and our sin and we make a request, we get to receive the help in our life. We receive the help of knowing. Look at what he says. They are, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, sisters, what shall we do? And Peter responds, he responds in such a way that, that we understand that receiving help, receiving help in our life creates a place of repentance and, and a place of renewal. Because what Peter said to them was, repent. Repent and be baptized. You, you see, repentance is this, it's this harsh word for most of us because it's something we don't do easily. Re repentance only can happen when you recognize your failure and your sin. You can't repent for what you don't know. That's why it's such a tension, this thing of responsibility and culpability. When you're not aware that your omission has caused someone else pain, when you're not aware that your silence has caused someone else heartache, when you're, when you're not aware that, that something you did that seemed innocent has caused problems somewhere else, then, then your culpability is harder to see. And yet, and yet, and yet it's still there. And when you recognize it, when, like these people, your heart breaks, you're cut to the heart, then, then now, now you're asking, what do I do? And, and, and what, what God does is He sends you help. And, and the help says this, you need to repent. Now, what does that mean? It means to stop doing what you know you're doing and turn and go the other direction. 
It means to find out what you've been omitting that you, that you don't know you've not done. The, the, the places where you're couple, learn, lean into that, figure it out. And when you do, then now you begin to do what you should have been doing all along. And when you do that, when, that's what repentance is. It, it, it really is just a matter of, of turning and going the other direction from the way you've been going. The way I put it to people is this. You and I were born with an inclination to walk away from God. But, but that inclination leads us to death and despair and separation from God. But in Jesus, in this Jesus who was both Christ and Lord, and Savior for the world. There's a definitive moment. There's a, there's a moment in time when, when you, regardless of whether you're responsible for the action or you're culpable for the action, now suddenly you turn and you go the other direction. And in this way, instead of walking away from Him, you're walking toward Him. And here's the best thing about Jesus. When you start walking toward Him, you find out He never left you. He's always right there for you. He will be right in your midst, right in your house. That's why Peter would say, Hey, repent and be baptized. Look at the way he said it. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from a crooked generation. What Peter is saying to them and to us is that if we will recognize the brokenness, if we'll recognize the failure and the sin, if, we will, if we'll receive the help that God offers us, we turn and we move back toward God. And when we move back toward God, we discover something called renewal. You, you start knowing why you're alive. You start figuring out why you wake up in the morning. You start figuring out that, that this leads us to a life that has a, a freshness to it. Some of you found that in your life. I know for me, for me that, that, that was a, a definitive moment at a, at a youth camp in West Texas in a place called Eastland, Texas, where I suddenly I, I understood as an, as an upper elementary age kid that that all those lessons in Sunday school and all those sermons I'd heard and all those people I'd seen at the church my dad pastored, it, suddenly what they talked about was for me. And there was a moment when I, when I walked down and knelt in a place to pray and said to the man who knelt down to pray with me, I, I just want to live the way God wants me to live. See, that's what you're offered that's why the story is yours and mine and ours. That's why the, the only real manly response, the, on, the only real human response to the divine that makes any sense, that takes us out of the pain and out of the brokenness and out of the failure is this ability to live in a new relationship with God through Jesus. Those people did it. In fact, thousands of them did it. And I, I would suggest to you today that the purpose, the real purpose of the gospel, 
the real purpose of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the real purpose in the witness out into the street, the real purpose between the proclamation by Peter, all of that led up to this one singular purpose so that people like you and me could respond to God. For those of you here in the room, underneath your chair, you're going to find a a little cup that looks something like this. In fact, it looks exactly like this. For those of you who are watching us online, we told you when the service began that today we want to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And so we hope you've gathered some bread or some juice, crackers, water, whatever you've got. In fact, if you haven't yet, please go go and find them. For those of you here in the room, I'm going to invite you to take this, and if you'll peel off just the top portion, it'll come across like that. You'll find that there's a small wafer in it. And this wafer is a a symbol to us of just how much God loved us, that He would become flesh and blood and live among us, showing us just just who God really is. We have so many mixed up ideas about God. We we think God is, is this divine holder of the universe who judges us. Some of us have, have a vision of God with a big white beard and and a big chalkboard where he keeps you know, all your bad things listed and all your good things, and he weighs us in the balance. That, that's not the God Jesus came to show us. And Jesus came to show us a God who knows everything we've ever failed at, who knows all of our brokenness, but who loved us so much that he would come and live with us to let us know how much he loved the world. And so this morning, whether you're online or on campus, I want you to take and look at the piece of bread or the wafer you're holding and remember that God loved you enough to come right where you are and to let you know He's for you, not against you. Take and eat. For those of you in the room, that next little tab on the cup peels off. And what you're holding is now a reminder that love, love is more than words. Love is more than hugs. Love's more than air hugs for those of us social distancing. Love is sacrifice. Because that same Jesus who came to let us know how much God loves us took love to a whole new expression because he laid down that body and that flesh on a cross. And he allowed people he had actually created to drive spikes in his hands and feet and to hang him on the cross and to watch his blood drip all the way down his body across his feet to the ground. 
Because real love is sacrifice. And this, this you hold in your hand, it is a reminder that that sacrifice was made for you. And that through the blood of Jesus Christ, all your failure, all your sin is forgiven. If you will respond by recognizing just how much, how deep his love is for you. As you drink it today, remember, he died so you could live forever. Take and drink. Abba, Papa, whether we're sitting here at 2600 East 5th Street or whether we are in our living room or whether we're listening in a car or sitting in a campsite, wherever we might be right now, we, we thank you. We thank you for the love you give us for the invitation you've issued to us so that we can respond by recognizing our brokenness and our failure, by responding with a, a sense of knowing that you are right here with us and we repent for the things we've done and the things we've not done so that you can renew us clean hearts, pure minds, not because of our perfection, but because of your grace and your mercy in us. Forgive us for the times that we reject that reality. Forgive us for the times when we walk in the wrong direction away from you. And draw us to turn around and see that you've been walking after us every step of the way. On this Father's Day, I pray that the men within the sound of my voice would join me in a commitment, a commitment to be the men you designed us to be, to make a manly response. And I pray for the women within the sound of my voice that they as well would have a a feminine response to the grace of God that they would also find healing and hope and help in you. Thank you for this invitation to a relationship, for the longevity and amazing depth of your love for us. For it's in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.